and Europe during uh, during September. Uh, so I would have thought that this is very, very much a market to watch during the uh, the coming months. And I know you've been writing a lot about this, but are activist investors on the march in Japan? Well, I think they are, uh, but there's a big change. I think um, activism has been uh, slowing globally, so the number of um, of campaigns is down uh, 17% year on year in um, globally, and yet it's um, it's uh, going upwards very, very fast. The number of uh, firms active in Japan has, has increased by a multiple of seven over the last seven years. So this is the one growth area, but. As the big global companies come into Japan, they have to switch from um, green mailing, so targeting companies with a lot of cash and saying, can we have a, a share buyback, to um, more fundamental changes in, in strategy and, uh, uh, and leadership um, and in order to get the, uh, the bigger companies, because uh, sort of cash-rich and low price to book are very much issues of small companies. So the whole character of it is changing, but I think that's fantastic for the market. I think that the government's far more likely to uh, to get behind a um, a restructuring of companies to make them better companies rather than a simple smash and grab. Can we have your cash, please? Nick, thanks very much. Look forward to talking again soon. That's Nick Smith, Japan strategist at CLSA in Tokyo. You're listening to Money Talk on RTHK Radio 3. And in Tokyo, the Nikkei 225 is up about a quarter of a percent at the moment. In South Korea, the Cosby is down 0.1%. Over in Australia, the SX200 is rising. Uh, that's up about a third of a percent. And looks like there will be a gain of about 0.4% for the Hang Seng at the open. All eyes on commodities this morning. Brent crude oil a little bit firmer at $69.31 a barrel. And gold is also a little bit firmer as well at $1,731 an ounce. I'll be back tomorrow morning at 8 o'clock with Money Talk. Do please stay tuned for Back Chat. Hugh Chiverton and Ada Wong coming up after the news. The weather forecast for today, mainly cloudy, occasional showers and thunderstorms, maximum temperature of around 31 degrees. There will still be a few showers tomorrow, but it will be brighter and hot in the following couple of days. It's 29 degrees right now, 82% relative humidity. 8.32, here's Barry O'Rourke with the half-hour news. The Hong Kong University of Science and Technology has set out a new COVID-19 regime that takes effect from the start of next month. It says those who fail to comply will lose access to some facilities. Sean Kennedy has more. In an email to staff and students, the university asked all staff and students to get vaccinated. Those who don't must get tested every two weeks. The email said students and staff have to show proof of vaccination or coronavirus test results online in order to get a campus access pass. The university says staff who fail to submit these documents will get two reminders and will then lose access to the campus and some other facilities. It said it won't deregister students who don't comply with the regime, but their studies will be affected because they won't be able to attend face-to-face classes and other academic activities. Health officials say people who are aged 60 or over will be able to receive coronavirus vaccines without needing to make a reservation from tomorrow. They say the walk-in arrangement has been working well with seniors who are over 70 and over and that about 17,700 people have used the walk-in service since July the 29th. Ocean Park has said its all-weather water park, featuring 27 different rides, including a free-falling water slide, will open its doors to the public on September the 21st. Online bookings are already available. Aaron Tam reports.
Each ticket for Waterworld will cost at least $320 for an adult and $225 for children aged from 3 to 11. They are expected to be more expensive on the weekends and holidays, but some say the initial pricing is on the expensive side. It's a bit expensive. Yeah, I think it's for a normal person it's a bit much. Yeah, maybe once every five years, maybe I would, yeah. Because if you have more than two kids, that's a lot. Meanwhile, the attraction's executive director, Brian Fish, urged people to wear a reusable mask. He reassured the public by saying aquatic facilities are generally COVID-safe, according to studies. A fund set up by the estate of the disgraced American financier, Jeffrey Epstein, says it's paid out $121 million U.S. million in compensation to victims of his sexual abuse. Epstein died by suicide in a New York prison two years ago. The BBC's Gary O'Donoghue in Washington has more. Following Epstein's death, the executors of his estate established the fund and asked victims to get in touch. Around 225 people did so, and 150 of them were judged to have legitimate claims. Most have now accepted a final settlement, though a handful of individuals have not, allowing them to pursue civil actions in the courts. Emergency repairs are underway at Tower Bridge in London after its vast bascules became stuck open. They were lifted to allow a tall ship to pass through, but got jammed because of what its operators called a technical failure. The lifting bridge, whose neo-Gothic towers have been an integral part of the London skyline for over a century, is a major river crossing linking the financial district of the city to South London. The closure has caused major disruption across many parts of the British capital. More news on the hour from RTHK. Good morning and welcome to Backchat. I'm Hugh Chiverton, your co-host today, Ada Wong. Ada, good morning to you. Good morning, Hugh. Today we're talking about the anti-sanctions law and about Ocean Park's water world. The Secretary for Justice, Theresa Cheng, has said Beijing's anti-sanctions law could be imposed on Hong Kong in the same way as the national security law was by adding it to Annex 3 of the basic law. She said the anti-sanctions law is strictly retaliatory and will only be used to counter unreasonable sanctions on China and Hong Kong by foreign governments. The National People's Congress Standing Committee, the NPCSC, will reportedly discuss it later this month, whether the mainland law should be adopted by Hong Kong as well, after it was passed in June to allow tit-for-tat measures against foreign sanctions on Chinese nationals or entities. So, how will this law change things? How practical is it? How would it be applied uh, in Hong Kong? Let us know your thoughts, questions and comments. You can leave a message on our Facebook page, Bankchat on RTHK Radio 3. You can email us, bankchat at rthk.hk. You can call us and our number is 233-88266, 233-88266. We look forward to hearing from you. Just before we get into the uh, the uh, sanctions uh, chat, a uh, couple of uh, emails, uh, sorry, that I missed out uh, yesterday that came in uh, over the uh, weekend. Uh, one from uh, Mary. Uh, who says it's shocking that uh, vested interests and incompetent legislators are not being tackled for the fake news statements that the Pandem legislators, Green Groups and Town Planning Board have held up development. Um, uh, Hong Kong's, this is a quote from the uh, uh, news story in the Hong Kong Standard, uh, Hong Kong's property market has been developing in an unhealthy way for 20 years. Ronnie Chan, chairman of Hang Long, declared as he pointed a finger of blame at the Legislative Council. Um, 
Mary says, anyone who follows up on the weekly applications and attends town planning board meetings well knows that private development plans are held up by naked greed. The public may not be aware that if a development plan is within the parameters of the outline zoning plan, then the developer does not need to go to the town planning board just to get approval for plans from the building department and fulfil parking and other conditions. Easy, just get on with it. But they constantly want more, and instead of going ahead with their projects, including those that have gone through the process, file application after application, all looking for more units, bigger, higher, you name it. So it's the developers that are holding up development. Republic Housing, any finger pointing at on that is reprehensible as the pandems never opposed construction of public housing. Where is the proof, date, statements made? With regard to objections from green groups, it's perfectly legitimate for them to object to developments on wetlands, greenbelt, conservation areas, as the OZPs have gone through, at least we are told, extensive public consultation, and the end result should be a balance between development and preservation of the environment. Their role is to protect what is left and not allow further encroachment. Backchat should host a programme on this topic. Who is really holding up development? Attached are examples in the news or currently going through that you can refer to. Mary, thank you very much uh, indeed for that. And a uh, quick uh, email from Jerry, uh, who says, I was very surprised and astounded that helpers are not included in the consumption voucher scheme. My old helper and now friend has been working in Hong Kong for over 20 years. She has a valid Hong Kong ID card, applied for the voucher, only to receive a notice that she was not eligible for the consumption voucher. If this is correct, once again, the government shows its prejudice against the helpers. Helpers are very important to Hong Kong. They allow Hong Kongers to go to work, take care of children and elderly. They boost the economy with their spending. So why are they not eligible for the voucher? Very unfair, but typical of the government, says uh, Jerry. Thank you very much indeed for that. Once again, our email address, backchat at rthk.hk. Joining us for our first discussion on the anti-sanctions law, uh, law we have now uh, Holok Sang, director of the Pansu Tong Shanghai Hong Kong Economic Policy Research Institute at Lingnan University. Mr Ho, good morning to you. Thank you much indeed for for uh, joining us uh, once again. Uh, first of all, let's let's put about the issue of um, uh, who might be covered by the anti-sanctions law, and 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 what's this going to do for those companies, those multinational companies who do business in America and in in Hong Kong and and China, someone like an HSBC. How on earth are they going to comply with all these different requirements from from uh, opposite sides? Yeah, definitely, it's going to be extremely difficult, and uh, the intention of uh, uh, these proposed laws is to uh, put pressure on these companies uh, so that they would put pressure on the U.S. government not to impose those, uh, uh, what China considers to be unreasonable sanctions. And uh, uh, they, yeah, the, the pressure has to be put on, on the United States. Uh, because, uh, you see, the stakes on, in, in China, once they are sanctioned under these laws, uh, they, uh, uh, the laws will be quite uh, significant, you know, because a lot of these companies actually uh, source their profits uh, mainly from, from, from China and Hong Kong. And uh, given that, I would say that these uh, laws, uh, anti-sanction laws, uh, uh, do have teeth and... Uh, and I, and I think they 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 uh, uh, a good move. Does that mean that those companies will have to basically choose? Will have to choose whether to? It's it's not. I think uh, um, they will have to put pressure on the U.S. government. You know, you know, because uh, it's uh, 
you know, it's just too much if if uh, the U.S. imposes those tensions and then you, uh, China uh, counters with uh, its own sanctions on those companies that that are following U.S. Uh, uh, sanction requirements. Then these companies are, are are going to suffer tremendously. You know, if they if they have to comply with both, you know, then then it's. Uh, uh, um, it, it really means that uh, uh, they will be uh, sort of out of out of China's market, and, and, and the stake is just too too big. So eventually, they will have to put pressure on the U.S. government. Mm. And I think uh, the, the turn of opinions on uh, in, in the China, in the in the business community in uh, in the U.S. Uh, recently ha- has been putting pressure on the U.S. government to uh, not to follow that route. Uh, right, um, Mr. Ho. I mean, there's another saying that um, uh, the immediate impact of the law on the international community um, or business community is likely limited because it has largely reflected pre-existing Chinese policies, which have, um, you know, in general been implemented with caution to date. And uh, but but you said that um, you know this legislation, um, anti-sanctions, um, you know, uh, this actually has teeth. So, uh, which one is right? Well, uh, we have to observe. We have to see uh, how the law is going to be applied. So, um, uh, I think we have to wait and see. And uh, the the intention of uh, proposing these laws is to uh, to ensure that they have teeth. So, I would imagine, uh, you know, from from my uh, um, own position, I think uh, uh, China wouldn't uh, introduce something that it would it, that, that wouldn't have teeth. It will have to have teeth in order to to be meaningful. You know, so so I'm pretty sure the way it will be implemented will ensure that uh, uh, they will bite. Uh, otherwise, uh, it wouldn't be a, 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 a meaningful at all. So so they. The, the Chinese side definitely will try to make it uh, uh, have teeth. But what what uh, what would be the impact to Hong Kong then? You know, if the legislation really has teeth, um, Hong Kong is an international. Well, momentarily, um, momentarily, uh, Hong Kong would be put in a in a in a bind. But I don't think that is going to be sustainable. And I think uh, something is going to happen on the U.S. side. You know, because uh, it is. Uh, it is uh, loss loss on both on all sides, so so it just uh, wouldn't make sense, you know, for the U.S. to continue with those those uh, sanctions. You see, and that is the intended effect, you know, short term pain, you know, for for long term gain. Well, as I read, you know, some of the countermeasures, uh, Dr. Ho, that may be imposed on persons designated on these um, anti-sanctions list exactly. might, might include, um, first of all, denial of entry into China or deportation from China. Um, so that probably doesn't affect the international business community. The number two is freezing assets located in China. If um, this is part of uh, the basic law, then it will have, you know, have an effect to Hong Kong. And number three is actually, I would say, um, more uh, stringent, and that is a prohibition against doing business with individuals and organizations located in China. So if this law is enacted as part of the basic law, um, it means that um, you know, some of these um, um, on the anti-sanctions list cannot do business um, with 
with us, with the entities in Hong Kong. That is a very big thing. That's a very big thing, definitely. And that's why I'm saying that it's not sustainable. It's not sustainable in a sense that, uh, you know, uh, 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 these laws, you know, these accounting sanctions will take effect as long as the U.S. sanctions take effect. You see, and that is why, to the extent that it's not sustainable, the pressure on the U.S. to take away those sanctions so that the, the sanctions on those individuals and companies would be lifted would be very tremendous. Mm. Well, we're also joined now by uh, Barry Wood, uh, our international uh, uh, economics correspondent. Uh, Barry, good day to you. Many thanks for, for, for joining us this, this morning, um, uh, this morning Hong Kong time. Um, tell, tell us about the, the, the sanctions in, in, in the U.S. Is, is there much appetite, do you think, for them? Do you think that the U.S. government is, uh, is going to press uh, ahead with this? Well... Coming, good morning to you. you. It's very nice to, to visit with you. But uh, just bring me up to speed. Uh, press on with what? Uh, there's nothing new announced by the Americans in the last 24 hours, is there? No, 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 there isn't. No, just that, that there are sanctions uh, in place against, you know, in, uh, against sure. someone in, in Hong Kong, no, for and, example. I, and the answer then is, of course, they're going to push on because uh, this has been, well, all the way back to December and then the message to the business community that went out in, in June. So, yeah, that's, that's the way it stands. But no particular plans or talk of uh, advancing it or increasing the sanctions or the scope of the sanctions? Not that I'm aware of, no. With, with these, um, uh, and what's the feeling like with this uh, possibility of uh, these uh, counter-sanction uh, legislation uh, in China and, and uh, in, uh, for us in Hong Kong? Um, you, you know, what would be the implications of that? Well, you know, look, I, I've been looking over the, the news reports from the Justice Secretary, and if that extension of the Chinese anti-sanctions measure is, is implemented. My own guess is that that's probably not going to be a surprise to uh, U.S. officials. I think that um, even going back to when those 10 individuals, I think it was December, were, were sanctioned as a result of the national security law, that um, I, I would be very surprised if if the State Department, the Treasury, was not expecting some retaliatory action from the Chinese. So, but I, again, I have been up in Maine with a bunch of uh, financial people who deal with the globe as well as just China. So I don't have any inside information on that. But uh, no, I don't think that comes as a surprise. That's my own guess. And, and, and this wouldn't have any um, particular effect, uh, you know, on uh, or impact on Hong Kong's uh, position as an international business uh, center. Well, Ada, I think that's a that's a whole different question, you know, because that is going to be decided over time, and I think it's likely to be determined not just by all of the people in American business and finance in Hong Kong. Uh, in that sense, I think the American Chamber of Commerce in Hong Kong is going to be critically important, but also uh, by the Chinese. But uh, uh, that's, a, that's a broader question you pose. I mean, I'm sure that uh, there's probably a division of thought uh, within Hong Kong on that. Um, 
uh, our other guest, uh, Holok Sang, was was saying that he thought the the intention of this uh, the, the threat of these of this uh, sanction law was really to uh, encourage American businesses to put pressure on the American administration to go easy on on the sanctions or even to to drop the sanctions. Uh, is that likely to be successful? Do you think? Huh. Well, look, if if that's the case, I'm not aware of it. Mm. It. Uh, of course, might be possible, but uh, I just don't see the Americans moving away from what they've so recently announced unless there would be some change in the implementation of the national security law. I mean, what the Americans are very explicitly concerned of is the erosion of the, of the final declaration and of the things that have made Hong Kong unique. That's, that's, you know, we're talking what rule of law, public assembly, democratic elections, all the things that have been talked about for over a year. Uh, yes, yes, I, my, my position has always been the same, uh, which is that uh, China is trying to follow uh, what has been decided uh, had been agreed upon, you know, under the terms of the basic law as it stands, which includes uh, uh, Article 45, like uh, uh, universal suffrage was promised indeed, but it has to be under those conditions, like uh, there being a, a, a nominating committee and so on, you know, and, the, and that the progression towards uh, uh, universal suffrage to elect the uh, chief executive has to be um, to, to take consideration of the actual circumstances. So if the circumstances permit, then there will be progression towards it. You know, if the circumstances doesn't permit, then it will go slow. You know, but it doesn't mean that it's going to uh, deviate, you know, from what has been promised. So all the allegation about uh, China walking away from Sino-British uh, Declaration is, is, is wrong. And actually, in the Sino-British Declaration, Declaration, there was no nothing uh, to talk, uh, uh, that talks about uh, uh, elections. Uh, so it is uh, just a, a promise that it will, um, you know, the, uh, the, the current system was going to continue. And the, the current system as existed uh, during the colonial days are actually uh, less democratic than they are now today. Mm. You see? So, so I don't think there is any and substance in that allegation. Yeah, I mean, Barry Wood is, is suggesting there that the, it's not, that the American administration is not likely to change its mind uh, on the sanctions, having uh, nailed yeah, this yeah. recently. Of, of so course, they, they wouldn't have the intention to do it, you know, but uh, uh, China's move was to force that, uh, uh, you know, even though they, they do not want to, but they would have to be forced into doing that. Yeah, you know? but it, with, just when it comes to this this, this present situation with the, with the anti-sanctions law, does Beijing actually believe that America will will the, the Washington will, will change its mind and, and and move on this, or is it a matter of well, something point, else? Yeah, the point is uh, how 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 much it bites. You see, as I as I said, you know, if 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 China really means business, then it will bite. By meaning that it's not going to be sustainable and the losses incurred on all sides will be tremendous, you know, and that includes the U.S., uh, including Hong Kong and also China. You know, 
all sides will, will lose, 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 lose. And that's not sustainable. And so someone has to give, and the one who will give has to be the U.S., you know, because U.S. started all the sanctions in the first place. Okay, how far do you think Beijing will push it then? How far would, would Beijing go? How would they apply these sanctions? As I, as I w- was suggesting, uh, China would, would try to make it uh, have teeth. You know, without teeth, it's meaningless. So they would... Uh, okay, well, let me put it like this. Would it, would it have teeth and bite? I mean, would they actually impose them? Would they actually, you know... Um, it will have to. My prediction is that um, it have to, you know, because otherwise all, all, all this uh, move is, is meaningless. And, and do you think, uh, and will that, will that change Washington's mind? Well, uh, the stakes are very high. Yes. And it's getting higher and higher, you, you know, because uh, 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 China is a, is, a, is a growing economy, growing very fast, and the potential losses on the American companies will be, will be huge. So, um, uh, Dr. Ho, so does it mean that eventually, um, like uh, global businesses like HSBC would have to take sides um, and they don't have a choice or they do have a choice? Is that how you see it, Dr. Ho? Yeah, I'm saying that uh, when 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 China does impose those uh, 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 anti-sanction things, you know, on, on individuals and companies, then the losses will be uh, incurred. You see, if the, if the, if the companies follow U.S. Uh, uh, sanctions, then they will be sanctioned themselves. You see, and they will take all these sanctions, which means that, you know, if, if, if the U.S. is not going to change on its side, then these companies and individuals will take all these losses, which is un- unsustainable. And... The pain would be huge, and I'm saying that uh, this is the, the strategy of, the, of, of Beijing, you know, short-term gain, uh, long-term gain, uh, to be won through short-term pain. Barry Wood, could you see a scenario where um, companies like HSBC are forced to choose one side or the other? Yes, it seems that way to me. But, uh, look, I, I agree with what Dr. Ho has been saying. The, the stakes are very high, and it there's a lose-lose situation here, uh, but I, I, I cannot foresee from my vantage point how either side is going to, to give way. And when you say, Dr. Ho, that this has to be the Americans, I just don't see what they're going to do. For example, you know, if you look at um, these measures in June, uh, that essentially what the Americans say is that uh, the, the special privileges that the United States granted to Hong Kong have been abrogated because uh, the things that made Hong Kong distinct from China, free, open trade, uh, non-tariff barriers didn't exist, private property, intellectual property rights, have been eroded by the national security law. So it's hard for me to see that the Americans can give on that. Hello, Sam? Yeah, my my reading is that those... uh, uh, important values have not been eroded, as was alleged. Like uh, intellectual property rights, you know, it has been more and more respected on the mainland, not to speak Hong Kong. You see, Hong- China's, uh, China's improvement in IPR is quite clear. You know, if you look at all, 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 the, uh, all the cases over the years, you can see that there has been tremendous progress uh, on the mainland. 
And in in Hong Kong, how can the uh, national security laws uh, erode that? I, I just don't see any possibility, you know, for that to happen. So all the allegation is actually uh, uh, they they stand on false premises in the first place. Do you, do you well, what about if one shifts to say some of the other elements uh, of the national security law uh, in terms of um, the penalties that uh, the anti-sanctions committee could impose on, on publishing anything against the government or being in demonstrations or expressing opinions against the, the Chinese government? And I don't the think there's any yeah the position of the position of, of, of both Beijing and, and the Hong Kong SAR government is that the governments can be criticized. There's no, no problem in criticizing the government, but there is problem in trying to overturn the political system on the mainland. okay and uh, deviating from the basic law, okay a particular article 45. You know, if you want, if you want to uh, um, uh, um, try to agitate in order to uh, press through something that actually deviates from the basic law, that is actually undermining the one country, two systems. You know, that is China's position, and and, and I think they are right. Okay. See, what about the element that um, the chief executive can order, say, surveillance or electronic? Uh, monitoring phone taps uh, without involvement of the Hong Kong judiciary. That's, that seems quite a change. Barry, I think you'll have to get the last word because we're, we're, we're out of time. But th thanks very much for that, that, that interesting question and thanks for joining us uh, today. That's uh, Barry Wood, our uh, international uh, economics correspondent. Many thanks to Ho Lok Sang uh, as well, uh, Director of the Pan Tong Shanghai Hong Kong Economic Policy Research Institute at Lingnan University. Felix Chung from the Liberal Party joining us after the news at night. Got some interesting emails to share as well. Stick with us. We're also going to be talking about Ocean Park. The weather, mainly cloudy with occasional showers and thunderstorms. Temperatures up to 31 degrees, 30 degrees at the moment. Relative humidity it is now at 81%. Its administrator, Jordana Feldman, said the package was worth 121 million US dollars. You're listening to the news on RTHK. Welcome back. Back chat on a Tuesday morning with Ada Wong and me, Hugh Chiverton. We're talking about the anti-sanctions law. Uh, what form will uh, it take in Hong Kong? How will it be uh, implemented? How it will be added to to uh, local legislation? Uh, can it be put in Annex 3? Will there have to be local legislation uh, to uh, put it into uh, effect uh, or not? Uh, we're talking, as I say, about the uh, situation. Uh, this In the first part of the program, we were talking to uh, Holok Sang and also to uh, Barry Wood in Washington. Well, we're joined now by Felix Chung, Liberal Party leader, textiles and garment sector lawmaker. Uh, once again, you can uh, join in by emailing backchat at rthk.hk. Uh, you can call us on 233-88266 or, or you can go to our Facebook page. That's Backchat on RTHK Radio 3. Leon says, where are Matthew and Mike? I'm just curious, but what's happened to your regular Backchat contributor, Matthew from Lama? Has he been pressured to tone down his constant criticism of the Chinese and Hong Kong governments? And where's caller Mike? I can't recall hearing from either of them for weeks. That comes from uh, Leon. Uh, and a couple of comments on our Facebook page. Uh, Horatio says, our, our chief uh, CJ 
I think they mean. I think she's referring to the secretary, for just, just, secretary for justice. The credibility is unrivaled. Any with an arm sling can still put on a turtleneck is worth all the attention, including the escort from London to Beijing direct. Uh, Henry says, "I support the anti-sanction law." Uh, with U.S. playing the Hong Kong card against China, Hong Kong must have ammunition to fight against measures like sanctions that make Hong Kong in a very difficult position. U.S. is now in an all-out attack on China, and no one can expect one's country not to defend itself against such sanctions. Think if those U.S. or U.K. sanctions cause Hong Kong institutions like banks, companies, schools tech companies or RTHK collapse like those in ZTE case? Are we going to sit there and think from scratch what to do with such? We have dignity, our honour to defend. China, including Hong Kong, would not pay money to the US to get itself out like the $1 billion paid in the ZTE case. And uh, TC says, uh, this is another case of the Hong Kong government needlessly putting themselves between the crossfires of the US-China conflict. Secondly, the law is used against, quote, unreasonable sanctions, unquote. Are there any sanctions against the Chinese and SAR governments that they consider reasonable? That's from uh, TC. Once again, our email is backchat at rthk.hk. Um, uh, Felix Chung, good morning to you. Good morning, Hugh. Hi, many thanks for, for, for joining us uh, once again. So, I mean, the concern is that uh, this uh, anti-sanctions law, whatever the rights and wrongs, is going to be going to put a lot of Hong Kong businesses, especially businesses that um, do uh, that trade, you know, with uh, with uh, uh, America and uh, China, in in a very difficult uh, position. Uh, are you concerned about that? Uh, you know the. Standing committee of the National People Congress will have a meeting in the, uh, probably the third week of August to discuss about that. Probably they will pass the law and impose it to Hong Kong too. So um, how it's going to impose, uh, whether it's directly or uh, we can do our own legislation through the Annex 3 of the basic law, uh, we do not know yet. And of course, we do not know exactly the content but, of course, we have certain uh, information about that. Um, for us, pop, uh, certainly we we'll prefer to have our own legislations. Uh, at least we can uh, do some consultation, we can do some discussion throughout the legislation period. And also Hong Kong is uh, under one country, two system. We are using uh, common law uh, uh, a bit different from the mainland law. I mean, certain interpretations may be different. So it, it would be better for us if we can do our own legislations after the decisions made by the uh, standing committee um, uh, by the end of August. Um, uh, especially the consultation in Hong Kong, we are not just having the consultation uh, by the local local community or the local business sector. We can have uh, consultations from the, the international business sector in Hong Kong too. So, I mean, I, I think that is very important. That, how, how likely is it? Um, yeah. you know, for, they're not going to uh, ask American businesses, surely, what, yeah. whether, whether they're going to be sanctioned, whether they should be sanctioned or not. Well, I mean, well, a, a very uh, simple uh, concept is why should Hong Kong be sanctioned? And then, uh, and we cannot do anything if, for example, the American sanction Hong Kong, and we cannot do anything. I mean, the anti-sanction law is just a check and balance. Uh, if you sanction me, then we can censure you. 
I mean, they, they make bad decisions. For the, for example, the U.S. government should not to do it because that will affect the interests of the of the international business sector, certainly the American business sector in Hong Kong. So, I mean, that will make the, for example, as I just quote American as an example, that before they make the decision to sanction China or to sanction Hong Kong, they have to really make a very deep considerations on that. Do you think it's likely for the Biden administration to, um, to, to do anything to reverse the sanctions now? Uh, well, Felix? well, well I, I don't know how they're, they're going to plan any sanctions to Hong Kong and China. But, I mean, we, uh, anti-sanction law is not just uh, a legislation made by China only in, this, in, in the whole world. For example, um, when we had the Trump administration, Trump did make sanctions to the EU, and EU also have any anti-sanction legislation to do to do things against America, same as Russia. So, I mean, this is not a, uh, something created by, by China, but, I mean, this happened everywhere in the world. Uh, uh, some will say, well, two wrongs don't make a right. If, if uh, sanctions are uh, an illegitimate way of uh, applying pressure, then uh, China applying sanctions is just as bad. That again. Uh, just, I mean, some people say, well, two wrongs don't make a right. If sanctions right. are bad in principle, then they're bad whoever does it, whether it's America who does it or whether it's China who does it. Well, of course. I mean, as a, uh, the lesser legislation, the better. So, but, I mean, this is partly, uh, I, 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 personally, I think that would partly for international security. So if somebody sanctions us, I mean, we, we have to do some uh, reply, at least. So uh, anti-sanction law is a kind of protection for us or for, for the whole country, for, for the whole China. So, I mean, as I said, before countries think to do sanctions to another one, they have to think about it uh, deeply because that will hurt themselves or hurt the, the business community uh, in, in that area too. Uh, and that applies to Beijing, does it? I mean, uh, Beijing has to seriously consider whether to, to do it or not? Oh, certainly, yes. Mm. Well, especially this is a national uh, legislation uh, made by the Beijing government. I mean, certainly it will impose to Hong Kong too. So, uh, as I said, it will be better for us to have our own legislation made later because, as I said, uh, under one country, two systems, um, we... Um, should be able to have a look of the whole situation that Hong Kong has. Uh, we have a different uh, legal system, different uh, rule of law. I mean, so, I mean, even though there's a national uh, legislation, it would be better for us to do it ourselves.
All right. Here's an email from uh, Bowen. Uh, I read an email uh, yesterday from from Bowen as well on on this topic today. Uh, He says, it should first be mentioned that sanctions and other measures taken by a targeting state against the target state are not all the same in terms of their potential unlawfulness. The potential countermeasures that can be taken, uh, therefore, theoretically may or may not exist in different cases. Second, on the legality of unilateral sanctions, jurists have advanced different positions based on sometimes conflicting principles, of which the principle of non-intervention is only one. As a result, some so-called smart or targeting Targeted sanctions of limited scope, for example, visa and banking restrictions or freezings of assets of individuals are regarded as ordinarily permitted in international relations. But reading the unofficial English translation of the mainland law of the PRC on countering foreign sanctions, it's not clear what criteria they will use to determine when a countermeasure will be launched. Article 6 of the law stipulates that any decision made by the relevant Department of the State Council will be final. Presumably the SAR will will be expected to simply follow the orders given to them, whether the decision complies with the International Law Commission's articles on state responsibility or other crystallised norms of international law. The much better arrangement will be for Hong Kong to draft its own version of the anti-sanctions law to deal with sanctions against that against that come its way, while taking instructions from the mainland and incorporating, for example, the said ILC's articles as well as the crystallised international law on what sanctions are lawful or otherwise. That way, Hong Hong Kong itself being in breach of international law will be minimised. But this is, of course, most unlikely. If what Lao Siu Kai said is any indication, quote, Hong Kong has no say in foreign affairs and defence. The central government will decide what and when to impose countermeasures and Hong Kong's role is to follow Beijing and execute its decision, unquote. The whole line of command, it appears, will be straight from Beijing to the SAR, with the SAR just playing a minimal role in making any decisions as regards the implementation of countermeasures. That comes from Bowen. Felix Chung, how, how would you expect it to work? Will, will it literally will it be Beijing saying you've got to impose these these uh, uh, these sanctions, these countermeasures uh, to Hong Kong? Well, certainly Beijing has the right um, to to say um, when it's going to impose or how it's going to implement. Um, uh, as I said, uh, we have to look at the details of the final versions of the legislation at the end of August. Um, at this at this time of, uh, um, we we cannot, we this is all we can comment uh, without the full versions from uh, from Beijing. So uh, as I said, this is necessary to have an anti-sanction law. We cannot just sit down here and let anyone from the other part of the world to um, bully us in this way. So, I mean, we have to have some counter-weapon uh, to, to tell them that don't, don't do anything to hurt us in an easy way. So, so it, it means that, you know, um, in any case, Hong Kong will be in a difficult position. As far as your sector is concerned, Felix, um, you know, what kind of difficulties do you anticipate seeing? Um, it, it's, it's very difficult to say, but I mean, one very good example that I can quote was um, that we have some um, export tariff that was imposed by um, the U.S. Uh, customs um, since two years ago, but we still survive. I mean, this sort of measure uh, that doesn't only hurt.
exports, but also also hurt the imports. This is a very good example. Uh, I would like to say is any measures um, um, that that think will hurt the other part of the uh, partner will actually hurt themselves too. So I mean the 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 sanctions from United States, anything imposed to China, will eventually hurt themselves. Uh, even though there is no anti-sanction law, but now if we have anti-sanction law, they have to think it more deeply on whether they can easily use it to attack us or not. Is this going to end up with someone like HSBC, you know, having to choose sides, going to say we're with China or we're with America, and that's it? Well, I mean, you should ask HSBC. <laughs> and, uh, but is, will that, and, you know, will they, will they be forced I, I into that? I don't think uh, things can be happen that easily, and by just asking a question of, oh, oh whether HSBC can survive in this way, I mean. Uh, whether the the other part of the um, country are going to use it, or just have this to threaten the the other the other counterpart, I mean, this, we we have to see and wait and see the real case to to be happened. So I mean, I I just cannot answer you these questions. You should ask HSBC. Just finally, you know, with does this sort of tally with um, with China's uh, COVID uh, policy? Uh, we've seen sort of a, a doubling down, saying that um, you know they won't, that it's not, they're not prepared to to live with with uh, with, with the disease. They will, will they will keep up the barriers because uh, you know it's getting on for two years now that the, the, the you know the biggest country in the world has been effectively sealed off. From, from from the rest of the world, with very very little contact, uh, and with us in Hong Kong, of course, this, this means there's no prospect really of of uh, uh, loosening the, the the border between Hong Kong and uh, and and the mainland. It, are you worried that, um, that you know that China is looking at uh, uh, a period of isolation, uh, economic and physical? Uh, different country have the strategies on handling the COVID. Um, what you quote. Um, is what China is using to uh, try to stop um, the COVID to be spread within the country. I mean, this is very important, especially we have 1.4 billion of people. I mean, if the COVID cannot be controlled within the country, I mean, this is this, is, this could be a disaster. So, um, not until we have uh, a vaccine that can handle the variants. I think at, at this point, at this time, I mean, this is the only thing we can choose uh, to stop uh, anything or any any infections import into China into Hong Kong. So um, it, it's sad to 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 be like that because we think our economy has to be opened up, but unfortunately, there are so many variants, especially the Delta. Uh, then we have to suffer uh, some more time. So it means that. that, for example, the tourism sector, Felix, will will you know will take a very very long time to recover, yeah, that, if at all. The, this is the worst sector that's been hit. So, um, well, right now the Hong Kong government is going to in, is going in, into the right directions to separate um, 
countries from overseas into uh, free areas, uh, ABC. So for those who are in low, um, high, high level or low level, I mean, we have a different way of treatment. For the low level, I mean, we only uh, need to have seven days of quarantine. I mean, that, that will help a little bit. Okay. Well, Felix Young, many thanks for joining us, Liberal Party leader, textiles and garment sector uh, lawmaker. A uh, couple more comments. Uh, Martin says, uh, currently there are 388 bills and resolutions piled up against China under the 116th US Congress, many of which have the potential to result in further sanctions against Chinese companies and individuals. It's about time that the US gets a taste of its own medicine. China's move to impose anti-sanctions law in Hong Kong will give the law far-reaching global reach. Uh, and Henry says, one of the questioners queried on CE power to do surveillance on people. Frankly, US is the leader in surveillance on Americans and other foreign leaders, including US allies like Angela Merkel. People should not play trying to be naive and simple and ill-informed. We know who is lying and who is the greatest pretender. Backchat should invite better guests and not stupid pretender and tricky fraudster. That's from uh, Henry. Thank you very much indeed for that. Uh, bringing time now to 21 minutes past nine. And finally today, we wanted to talk about uh, uh, Ocean Park. Um, uh, with the news that uh, their new uh, water world, uh, a new attraction, will uh, finally open on uh, September the 21st after uh, it's reported four years uh, of uh, delays. Uh, for comment, we're joined now by uh, Professor Brian King, Associate Dean of the School of Hotel and Tourism Management at the Polytechnic University. Professor King, good morning to you. Yes, good morning, Hugh. Uh, th thanks for, for, for joining us once again. So this is this is pretty big, isn't it? Um, some of us will remember the uh, the old uh, water park. Uh, this is this is twice the size, I I, I gather. So it's, it's quite a big, substantial investment, isn't it? Yes, it's half a billion US dollars. So for a, for an upgrade of recreational facilities, yes, it's really it's a really massive one, and, and obviously the timing coming at the end of the. Olympics is very interesting as well. So I think there's going to be a very positive community response to this. <laughs> but as you say, there's a big, big price tag attached to it. Um, can Can you remind us, um, you know, why why we had a smaller water park which um, closed down, and now we we need a much bigger one? And you know, are we sure that this will be attractive? Well, I think it's a very uh, different timing. You know, new management. Uh, new generation looking for different experiences, a uh, new way of running these businesses. So what we're talking about these days is what we call dynamic pricing. So when it gets too busy, then the price will go up and then people will be told to come back later. And then when it's a bit quiet during midweek, maybe the price will drop. Uh, certain groups can be, can be brought in. So I think there's a lot more opportunity for the operator to control the business. And then the next thing I'd add is I think that it it brings together the very best of Hong Kong. So we've got a warm climate here. We've got mountains. We've got beach. So this really spectacular setting, but very contemporary facilities, well attuned to new generation, to teenagers, to families, etc. So I, I'm really excited by this one. Uh, I, I think it's going to be a very different proposition from from last time around. You called it dynamic pricing. I think that. Hong Kong Standard calls it seafood pricing. So it's, it's kind of a familiar idea for people in Hong Kong. Do you think that, does that work? Do you think people will go along with that? Or do you think it'll kind of cause resentment if you don't know where you stand? 
Well, I mean, I think it's interesting, the opening price. You know, I've heard the <clears throat> responses, some people saying it's... That's quite high, isn't it? We're, we're talking about 320 yeah, so, for adults. So I think they wanted to make a statement, which is this is a huge investment, and we're going to get at least some of the money back. I think that's a statement about this is a high-value proposition. But I, I, I think they need to look at equity as well. So I, I think opening up to the rest of the community where the price is high, that's part of the dynamic pricing. So, so you can at lower uh, occupancy periods, you can, you can bring that in. And we're lucky that the new technology allows us to do this. So I think this is really important for Ocean Park. You know, maybe people have seen it's a little bit tired, it's focused on package tours, all that type of thing. This is a very individualized experience. And then for families... And then the management can be very responsive to if there's, you know, low occupancy, bring more people in. So, uh, look, I think it's good. It's on a very big scale. So let's see whether it works. I only saw it during the construction phase, so I've not seen it operating. But I think the basis is there for it to be a very exciting new development for Hong Kong. So we're we're still, you know, we're still in the middle of COVID, I, I guess. Uh, but um, you know, this facility is opening, and is not mandating um, vaccinated people to go in, so anybody can go in. And um, when you're playing with the water facilities, I read I read that um, you know you can take off your masks. How, how how do you see that? Well, I don't know the science too well. I've I've heard the arguments that water parks are not too high risk. I mean, it's. It's a largely outdoor facility. Uh, obviously, there's maybe a higher degree of risk when people are not wearing masks. But look, we've got that in restaurants in quite confined indoor settings. I don't think the risk is too high, but it's going to require very close monitoring. Obviously, the, the, the government won't want any you know, accidents here. Um, but I think the, the, the risk is pretty minimal, I'd say. Um. What in your what went wrong with with Ocean Park and uh, and how can we stop that happening with with Waterworld? Um, I mean, just economically, it seems like they, you know, well they went bust if, effectively. Yes. What was what what was the, that big mistake and and how can we learn from it? Well, there's many different things, but mm. I'd maybe signal the fact that uh, Ocean Park got a bit uh, dependent on group tour market and then that was then associated with not local people. Mm. So Ocean Park needed a reset which is really engaging with Hong Kong people, then seeing it's a good proposition, it's worth spending money on, it's working, worth supporting the families. So it needs people to open their wallets and then to go there repeatedly. And to do that it needs to be contemporary, forward-looking, the experiences need to be exciting for the different generations. So the types of things, you know, um, simulated surfing, um, wave pools, all, all these type of new fangled uh, ideas will appeal to a different audience. And I think for any tourism attraction facility, it needs to embrace millennials, the new generation, then that gets the families behind it. And so I, I think that the timing is really good because I think we're going to see a reset of tourism, much more towards local people, towards then from the Greater Bay Area, a bit less dependent on people traveling further afield. Now, will it work? Well, it's a very major investment, 
and it sends a good message to the Hong Kong community. So I think that's a good foundation. I don't want to predict it's going to be a roaring success. Look, I think the let's see how the operation goes, but um, it, it's certainly a very visionary, long-term project that's coming in at a very good time when uh, we're conscious with the Olympics. Hong Kong needs better recreational facilities. We need healthier lifestyles. We need well-being. We need families coming together, enthusiastic, positive thinking. So I think all these things, it, it brings together uh, well. So I think we should wish it success. Is it, is it a bit expensive if we're talking about, we're talking about like $1,000 for a, you know, for a family, two adults and, and two children? That's not something you could do regularly. Most people could do regularly, is it? Yes, I think it's an interesting statement that, um, and it may fall a bit between two stools of, you know, being the, the big theme park and then the smaller, you know, going to the swimming pool type because of thing. Disney, is it, how, much is, that spectrum? how much is Disney now? Is it about four, five hundred? For an adult? Uh, more. It's, it's okay. higher than that for okay. Disney. So Disney's a bit pricier than, than Ocean Park. So, yes, you can say the price is high. And look, if the community is resistant to that, then I guess the price will drop. I mean, that's what dynamic pricing is. So they're making this initial statement. I don't think we should uh, hold too much to that. They, they wanted to send a message that this is a high-value proposition. It's worth paying for. And bear in mind, Ocean Park has always been cheaper than Disney, so it's always seen as a, maybe a, a, a lesser proposition. So, so this is making a strong statement about it being a, a new investment, something really worthwhile that, that, that people should grab. Yeah, but will Waterwork um, turn, turn this around, turn Ocean Park around? It is still quite debt-ridden, uh, even with the $6.8 million, um, from government earlier this year. Oh, well, it'll be very difficult to recoup that half a billion U.S. dollars. I mean, I think the proposition for profitability at uh, Ocean Park, we could say, is maybe medium to long term. This is not the, you know, it's not the quick fix. But I, I think what you want to see is the direction improving and a new initiative like this, which is less speculative. I, I think it's got a very strong base. So at least this is going to bring in revenues. It's uh, an all-year-round, all-weather facility. So even if there's typhoon season or that there's issues, then I think the revenue stream will, will continue. So at least it's going to lessen the bleeding, even if it doesn't quite uh, bring everything back to profitability. Uh, it's also it's starting on September the 21st, so it's starting after the schools go back. You would have thought they could have squeezed it in to get people get the children on holiday. I don't know the background story. I mean, I, I, obviously, it would have been good to get the revenues in over the summer period. It's going to be a little bit of adjustment for Hong Kongers because, you know, our, our swimming pools close in, in winter time. And coming from Scotland, I've always been a little bit surprised that people are so resistant to what doesn't seem too cold to me. Uh, but I look, I think the teenagers will embrace the, the going outdoors and all the exciting rides, even in winter time. So I think that. It, it will change the mentality a little bit, and I think that's great. We need Hong Kongers to engage with the water, uh, to see it as part of their lives, and to you know have great experiences with families.
Great. Well, uh, Brian King, many thanks for joining us. Professor King, their Associate Dean of the School of Hotel and Tourism Management at the Polytechnic University. Thank you very much indeed. Ada, thank you very much. John Kowloon in an email says, Hugh asked whether HSBC would eventually have to decide whether to side with China or the US. To be frank, that's a fairly easy decision for the bank. In the first half of the current year, North America accounted for only 7.4% of the group's pre-tax profit, compared with 64% for Asia, the overwhelming majority of which is sourced from Hong Kong and China. China. Money talks, and therefore there is little question of which of the world's superpowers HSBC will align with if it has to choose. That comes from John Kowloon. Uh, many thanks for that. The weather before we go, many cloudy with occasional showers and thunderstorms today. Temperatures up to about 31 degrees. There will still be a few showers tomorrow, and then it'll be brighter and hot in the following few days. 30 Celsius at the moment. The relative humidity is at 82%. With the completion of COVID-19 vaccination and achievement of herd immunity, I hope we can go home directly after traveling out of Hong Kong, visit grandma and grandpa with other family members safely, exercise indoors without restrictions, get together with a group of old friends again, travel outside Hong Kong during holidays. I hope that we can return to normal life. With all the rewards and concessions, let's get vaccinated early. 9.33, the news now with Vicky Wong. The operator of a COVID-19 vaccination centre says slots made available for the elderly have not been used up and he hopes this will improve after a non-booking scheme is extended to those aged above 60. From tomorrow, the age threshold for vaccination walk-ins for elderly people will be lowered from 70 to 60. United, a United Nations experts have warned that human activity has already changed the climate in irreversible ways affecting every region of the world. But it said there was still an opportunity to prevent even more severe impacts by cutting emissions of carbon dioxide and other greenhouse gases. And a lawsuit has been issued in New York suing Prince Andrew, a member of the royal family, and accusing him of historical sex abuse. In a statement, Virginia Roberts Joffrey said her civil suit laid out in detail how she'd been trafficked to the prince by the disgraced American financier and convicted paedophile Jeffrey Epstein when she was 17. I'll have more news at 10 o'clock. It's time right now on Radio 3 to say good morning to Phil Whelan and his guests on The Morning Brew. Hello. Good morning. Good morning. morning. Hi. Good morning. And good morning to you too. How are you doing? Excellent. Hello. Hello. Good morning. Good morning. Good morning. How are you? Good. Fine, thank you. Thanks for inviting me to your show. How are you? Good morning. Good to see you. On your radio and live online, this is The Morning Brew. Good morning once again and welcome to Tuesday's Morning Brew here on 3. Real treat for you after 10. Yu Yukitamura is a Hong Kong-based filmmaker. Now, she's recently released a beautiful short called Invited In. It's all about the loneliness and fear she experienced in quarantine. And she recently returned from New York. It really brings home what a lot of young people go through when placed in solitary for two or three weeks. A lot of every people, really. This wonderfully told journey speaks of many wider issues as well. We're going to talk about it after 10. Join us on Facebook Live.